So tell us your origin story and the origin story of Maison Auger. So it started off as a t-shirt company, which I think is the lowest hanging fruit of starting a quote-unquote fashion brand or label or line. But even in that, I I think I I approached it as, okay, I'm going to make the most beautiful t-shirt ever. And I think I set some rules around, I'm not going to silkscreen and I'm not going to use blanks. It's going to be custom. You know, I'm going to be really involved in the pattern making process and sampling, all of that. Because I think I just wanted to understand creating a line like through and through, end to end. But it it started off as a t-shirt company. And I think because I approached it as this very bespoke t-shirt led to it quickly not being only a t-shirt company. It quickly became like, okay, I want to do high fashion in a sense. Then that pursuit led to, oh, this is not just a fashion company. I just want to apply this this lens on making things. You know, that led from a t-shirt to a custom suit to, you know, not even doing fashion anymore. And Maison has just become this like umbrella to just make shit and put things out. I think there's still an underlying logic, it's just an umbrella to to make things I want to make under like a unified name. Well, and Maison has sort of expanded into a sister company. Can you yeah. tell us more about that? Okay, so eventually Maison, or from t-shirts to fashion to furniture in 2020. So I, I started making custom furniture with plywood mostly. And I think that the breakthrough for me was I, I bought, it's like a handheld CNC machine. You know, it's, it's semi-autonomous. You still have to guide the cut. It, it kind of unlocked this thought that if given like a set of constraints, anyone can kind of design a piece of furniture, right? And, and for me, that started off with coffee tables and side tables. And that idea of allowing the average person to be a participant in the design process because of production mechanisms like CNC cutting that takes a flat material like plywood and lets you cut any shape out of it, right? Again, if there are certain constraints built in, you can give someone control over a design, for, for instance, of a, of a tabletop. And, so, and that's the idea behind self is like, how do you empower the average person who, who might not even consider themselves creative, who might not consider themselves a designer, certainly not a furniture designer. So why, why can't that person have the ability to design something within constraints? And so self is, is just that. It's this idea that you can design your own furniture. What I'm building is it's twofold. It's one, it's, it's this parametric, call it configurator. Basically, it's like a vector design tool that renders in 3D and kind of shows you the output of your design. And then I take that design, which is really just a piece of vector data, and I cut it for you and make it into, right now, it's side tables and coffee tables. But I think you can kind of see where that goes. You can kind of expand that idea out to other furniture products and then eventually other other consumer-facing products as well. Have you always been creative? I think I was more interested in sports initially, but there was always this underlying, I'm going to be an architect one day without understanding what that meant and without fostering it or exploring that. For like much of my childhood, I thought I was going to be an architect. And so like typical Legos, Connects, and yeah, I took some drawing classes, but I just didn't think I was going to become a creative. I don't think I understood what that meant. Even when I did go to architecture school, it it wasn't really a creative exploration for me. It was like, oh, I'm learning CAD and I'm taking technical drawing classes, but it wasn't freeform at all. It was just, I'm going to be an architect. Yeah, sort of rigid. It was super rigid. Yeah. 
Um, and I think even worse so, my year at USC was the first year of architecture where the program went straight to CAD. So there was no drafting. There was no proper model-making course. So all the tactility that would have sparked you know, an understanding of like, oh, this is what I'm doing. I understand what I'm doing. That was gone, um, which is mostly the reason I ended up dropping out of it. And it wasn't until I left architecture or studying architecture that I found other pursuits that were creative because I, I did develop a tool set from that program that then let me explore, okay, branding and illustrator, vector design. And then I think, I think it kind of took off from there. Yeah, that's sort of hard to be in just like a purely digital world because then you feel a lot more like an engineer where so much of architecture tends to be accidental in some ways, right? Like you're messing with a model and you find something interesting. Like there's no real accidents in digital design. No, it's predictable and it's perfect, right? It's Mm -hmm. a perfectly straight line every time unless you program it to to not be straight. (laughs) Like my brother's a creative as well. Um, he, I mean, he went to school for finance and like interned on wall street and now he's a creative director. And I think I kind of let, I went off of him to some degree and cause he was also a jock, like he played sports instead of doing art. Right. And so like both, I think both of our discoveries around our creativity were pretty late in life. And it's not to say that like, it wasn't fostered, like our mom fostered whatever, pursuits that we had but it, it was just a late discovery it's sort of funny you calling it a late discovery aren't you like 31 dude <laughs> like, yes like there's no there's no point that you are late <laughs> I okay sure fine but you know like I wish like I like I wish I went to art school you know mm-hmm. I did take AP art in high school it's sort of funny that you're now taking CAD this thing that was like really restrictive to you and it's sort of yeah. diagonal nature and now you're using that to kind of break out of the creative confines. That's really cool. I hadn't thought of it that way. I am reasserting control over CAD. Yeah. 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 And you've had a lot of success with the brand so far. Uh, you've been featured in T Magazine alongside with other emerging furniture it, designers. It's, it's funny because the T the Magazine feature was actually on the kind of one-of-one one custom furniture I was making. And all the while, when, I, when they approached me about that stuff I was making, I didn't want to talk about that stuff because I knew it wasn't what I was going to be working on, A, by the time the article came out, but also because I knew it was it was the least interesting of the furniture pursuits. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of running off of that initial recognition around the brand and, and hoping to just kind of have that be a catalyst for more. I mean, you need that kind of like juicy hook at the beginning, even though it's not the thing that you're going to do long-term. Right. So tell us your origin story, Marv. I went to school. I learned the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so my career in work, I guess, my first job was in advertising on the branding side. And again, I think I mentioned this earlier, like from that time spent in architecture school, the skill set developed was Definitely around thinking like a designer, but also tangible design tools. And so I kind of took that that ability to to use CAD and Illustrator and and you know shifted into crafting a portfolio around branding and, and identity design. I, I, I think I I went from this rigidity of architecture, right? And I was like, I hate this, right? I I I want creative freedom. 
And that led to branding, which is, you know, there's obviously restriction and, and, and um, constraint, but, you know, it's, it's more free flow and creative. That then became way too freeform for me. And so then I, I, I discovered, this is 2014, 2015. I didn't know what product design in the digital sense was, but I discovered that and I was like, oh my God, this is this perfect confluence of creativity. You get to be creative, but you all, you're also relying on data and user research and insights to craft a user experience. And that was beautiful and brilliant because it, it, it let me use right, left brain, all of it, right? And so that led me to work at my first tech company, which was an education ed tech company, which eventually led to working at Visco as kind of like a like a Swiss Army product designer. You know, now I work at Airbnb as an art director, which again is this overreaction again to I, I think I'm too far indexed now again on the where is the constraint? Sure, there are insights coming in, but are these actually getting reflected into what we make? Probably not. And so I think that's a frustrating place to be. Thank God I have the outside pursuits. It gives you that balance that you're looking for. So, okay. So speaking of creativity and sort of trying to match up the right balance of things, how do you stay creative, you know, having a creative job and then also having creative hobbies? <laughs> I'm in such a funk right now. I'm in such a funk. Like it's crazy because like I'm making strides with self. A lot's happening on that front, but a lot of it's somewhat out of my hands right now. So one, I'm working with an engineer to create that parametric software. And then two, I'm working with manufacturing for the actual tables. And I'm heavily involved in both ends, but I myself am not a developer, software developer. And then I I can make furniture, but not at the quality that I need it to be, right? And so I'm kind of going in between these two points and kind of project managing them right now. And it's it's really frustrating because right now it's just a little out of my hands. I feel like I just haven't made anything good in a while. Like it, fashion, furniture. And it's frustrating because I know I'm working on this thing that I'm really excited about. And I know that I know this thing is actually it's radical. And it's just not, it's 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 weird. It's a weird place to be because I'm like, ah, I don't feel like I'm doing shit right now. But I think that's normal, right? Like every creative goes, like I've asked this question of multiple people. And everyone goes through a slump. And I think part of the benefit of having experience is you know it ends. But you know what's funny is like when you when I called you earlier and I was in the car, I literally just picked up my first set of tables from production, which is really... And I'm going to package them tonight and ship them out to people who used my product, you know, early stage, but used it and made something that they wanted to pay for. That's, you did it. <laughs> I'm still like... I went, I went to a magazine store and bought like... 20 magazines yesterday because I was like, I'm not creative anymore. I need to look at stuff. That pursuit, that constant, and I'm in no means looking for per- perfection because I, I can't achieve perfection, but I am looking to to feel like I'm making something worth making. And I, I think I'll get there. Like probably today when I'm packing those things up and I ship them out, I think that's going to bring me back. But right now it's like, gosh, I, like how can I re- how can I retain some control or feel like I have some control over like what I'm doing right now? But you know, when you're doing something creative, you're doing this radical work, you're doing things that are really interesting and the payoff of that when you feel super satisfied seeing the thing yeah. that you've been laboring over is so, so high. But when you feel stuck and you can't make anything, it drops you down to this low that people in, you know, more analytical kind of direct roles don't face because every day is kind of the same. Right. It's interesting because work, like my day job, that's motivation to 
pursue, continue to pursue the things I'm pursuing outside of work. And work as of late has been dry as well. You know, I'm, I don't have like this useful fr- frustration <laughs> to like direct towards my, my other creative pursuits. And so it, it's just been a little frustrating, but yeah, super hopeful that, you know, I'm getting, getting over that hump. So you cross a lot of different mediums. How do you decide which form your next project will take? You know, whether it's fashion, object, furniture, digital, how do you, how do you use that inspiration? I think for once, I'm finally like, okay, I'm focusing on furniture right now. But I, I think, like I was saying before, creating Maison as like this umbrella created the environment where it doesn't matter what medium I'm working in at any given time. I do feel a need to focus more because I think this idea is extendable, that it merits more focus. Because I, I think I'm just, I'm constantly unfocused. I, I think this is something that I want to spend the next five, 10 years on. Not to say I don't want to do other things in between that time, but it's the first time I've found something I'm like, okay, this is worth pursuing to its full extent, which I've never done with anything I've made. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it further and further each time. Yeah, because I, I move on too fast, which is like, it, it's a gift and a curse because it's like, uh, you never get, again, like that lack of perfection. Like, is that thing as good as it could have been? Or did you pursue it to its, its extents enough? I, and I feel like I need to do that with, with self. are you excited about these days? Well, I just moved to Chicago and I, it, it just feels limitless. I mean, for one, I think people forget Chicago is like the third largest city in the US, which I totally forgot. It, it just feels like the, there are no bounds to what there is to do here. And, you know, being new to a place like developing community and meeting people and just stumbling upon new corners every day because you're just literally trying to discover what there is around you. It's, it's incredible and it's winter and it's fucking cold (laughs) and it's still every day. It's like, Oh my gosh, this is so much more expansive than my, than, you know, what I became accustomed to back, back home, Oakland, back in Oakland. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, I think I'm really excited about continuing that exploration and that journey of just kind of figuring out like this new place that I live in. Anything else you're excited about? I'm very excited. I mean, I'm excited about self. Like, I think this idea of allowing the average person that the idea that you, that person can be a participant in the design process. It's so sick. And there are products that do that now. I mean, for one, like Nike ID, right? Like you've been able to customize your sneakers for the longest time. And let's go with furniture, right? You go to like Herman Miller, right? You get to pick 
fabric color. What you don't get to do is dictate form and shape. There's really nowhere you get to do that, right? Or no product that allows you to do that. And I think that idea is, it it can be pretty extensive because it, it can apply to so many products. It's going to eventually apply to furniture like I'm trying to do. It's going to apply to everyday consumer goods because the means of production, what's to say in this case, CNC and 3D printing, like those production methods are so adaptable and you, you tie that with a constraint so that the thing works and that it, it holds together. And then you give someone freedom around those two things. That is so powerful. That, like, I, I'm really excited about like, where that can go. People, you and I, are going to expect that level of customization or personalization, whatever you want to call it. I, I think, I think it, it's really exciting to kind of be creating something that that feels like it's it's at the forefront. Yeah, I mean that democratization is something that I think people have been talking about since the '60s, but only is now becoming actualized with the technology that we have now. I mean, you know, with the jewelry line that we used to make, the 3D printed stuff, that was always the dream that we would actually let people design their own jewelry. But at the end of the day, there's still that kind of barrier between somebody's ability to design something that'll be wearable and at a scale that looks nice. <laughs> and so unfortunately, like we end up being the kind of gatekeeper to the design and they only get to choose the parameter, which isn't as exciting. Like we got to make cool stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm proud of everything we made, but I would right. have, I would have loved to be able to do more like what you're doing with self to let people truly design for themselves in a way that isn't tempered or modified by a quote unquote designer. Right. Exactly. And I think, I think that's one of the more radical ideas. We as consumers are very into this idea of capital D designers, like this person that is qualified in some way. Therefore, I value the thing that that person designed because they went to certain design school or, you know, they have the cachet of whatever, whatever makes them qualified. And I think we'll never stop putting a premium on that and valuing it. But there is an alternative as well. And I, I think that's what's really interesting is like, you can be that person. You are a designer. You are a furniture designer. You are a, you know, a sneaker designer if given the proper constraints. And so constraints become really important. And I think one thing I'm learning with self is that actually people don't fully want full control over. That's really intimidating. That's intimidating for, I, if I were to go to you and be like, Ari, design me a table. <laughs> like that's going to take a process for you. And you're a trained, you're a trained designer. You're a trained designer. So imagine going to to someone who isn't a designer. It's going to be hard. So there has to be, there has to be. You have to meet everyone at a point. And so whatever that mechanism is of quote unquote designing your own X Y Z, it needs to be mm-hmm. friendly. It needs to be approachable, and it needs to give you a starting point. Even with that starting point, you can and will walk away feeling like, oh, at a minimum, I got to participate. But at its furthest extent, someone comes over and they see that thing and they're like, yo, who, where'd you get that? You're going to be like, yo, I designed that. <laughs> and that is, that is what I'm, that's the, that's the moment I'm trying to get to. Yeah, like a more expressive approach to design. It's kind of the opposite of norm core in some ways. Yeah, it's that emphasis on I did this thing. This was me. This came for me is there, there aren't too many references for that right now. What do you wish you knew before you started? 
I mean, I, I think that what I was expressing earlier about that frustration of like not always being creative. And and again, like maybe I'm not that creative because I, because I struggle with it so much that that attrition that happens when you're younger and you're you're like, I'm not creative anymore. Like I again, I developed that thought that I am creative later and some, I guess, but I think I would tell myself that, you know, there are going to be times where you feel like you have no idea what you're doing and you're trying to steal ideas. You're trying to, you know, recreate what other people are making just to like remind yourself that you can create something and that it's going to happen a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to happen more than you anticipate more than you want. And that's okay. Cause like, I think I've made like four good things ever. (laughs) And the rest of it's, it's just not very good. I think this is like, again, very typical of creatives. There's a really good Ira Glass quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but essentially he says, you know, you're going to make something, you're going to be bad at it. You're going to fail a bunch of times and you're not going to like what you make. But ultimately the thing that sets you apart is the fact that you can discern that it's not as good as you want it to be yet. Yeah. And that's actually the thing that's important. Yeah. Not not the making the perfect thing yet. Yeah. What do you hope someone would say about your work in the future? That's a great question. I I I think I'm I'm becoming more and more okay with this idea. I want people to say that they did it. I've been reading a lot about like Saul Lewitt. That idea of, you know, he, I mean, he was creating our algorithms, right? He was telling most of his work was not drawn or painted by him. It's instructions, right? yeah. <laughs> it's instructions. It's instructions. And yet, it's still attributed to him. And the genius of it is, is attributed to him. And so I think self, ha- what I've realized about self, and it's kind of a cop-out, self is becoming this thing where I'm like, shit, I don't really need to be a good designer. <laughs> like, I don't need to push my designs to a certain point, I need to be really good at designing constraints. I need to be really good at designing frameworks, which is really exciting for me um, because I don't think I am that good of a designer, whatever that means. Like, I, I think I, re- and I mean that it's like, I don't, I don't, I want to create something where it doesn't matter because I'm leaving it up to you. The person interacting my, my work will be the thing that you created your thing with. There's something kind of zen about that, right? Where you're just talking about a practice in some way. Yeah. Being able to give good parameters is more focused on like the joy of the end user rather than the joy of the designer. Because I mean, there's some like there's some things that designers make that I think is awful, right? But it doesn't matter because I'm not their customer. So at the end of the day, like what's good design? It's just something that makes someone happy. Yeah. And here that's the thing. It's like something that designers probably have a hard time accepting. And like why, you know, people who consider themselves good designers question why people buy things that they think are bad design. It's like, well, shit, man. Sure, you didn't design that and you wouldn't design that, but the person who bought it sure as hell thought it was dope. If you can remove yourself from that process, create constraints where where someone can't create something bad, but can create something that they want. But yeah, you give the person who wants to display that thing, who wants that piece of furniture in their house, if they're happy with it, that that is the end goal. How can people find you? I mean, Instagram is great. Mavi, <laughs> M-A-H-V-I-I-I, three eyes. Yeah, selffurnish.com. 
right now I'm looking for beta testers. And yeah, I'm like slowly letting people into the app to use it and and just try to break it and give me feedback because that's helpful. That's like, that's the most helpful right now. You know, everyone's figuring it out. That's a great note to end on. <laughs> Vicinity is hosted by Ari Takata Vasquez and produced by Viscera Studio. The Viscera Studio team produced original cover art by Sia Gould and cover animation art by Sonia Pohl. Closing music by Jack Sriracha. Check him out on all streaming services and at Brotherfar on Instagram. Intro and commercial break music by Understory, which is Miles Bianchi and Ari Takata Vasquez. Find them on Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get notification of new episodes. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find our show. Mavi. So growing up in Boston, you know, a bunch of Bostonian high school friends call me Mav. Oh yeah, Ari. <laughs> drop the <laughs> Ari, yeah. Drop the drop the ah. Uh so Mavi M M A H V I I I three eyes.